Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. Now that I'm done directing the development and first episode of the second series of Space Station Animation, I'm joining up with Steamroller Animation to push the boundaries of the art form. Thanks to the support of so many of you, I'm continually developing more than 10 dynamic feature film pitches while mastering the art of telling deeply meaningful stories. And speaking of meaningful stories, today my guest is Alex Orell. And his work is incredible, like the depth of it. We have films like Klaus that he worked on that was on Netflix. It was the hand-drawn film directed by Sergio Pablos. He has worked on The Incredibles. He's worked on the Looney Tunes shorts, the CG ones that were on TV. He's worked on Space Jam, and the list just keeps going on and on and on. The depth of experience that you have is incredible, Alex. And is there anything you'd like to add to that intro? Well, um, no, thank you. That, that was amazing. I hope I live up to that, Scott. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, your treat today, the treat of everybody on the audience, you, you're going to share some original content that you're, you're pitching today. So do you want to just jump right, right into that and then we'll start discussing it and about your process and things you've learned at different studios and all of that stuff? Cool. cool. Okay. Awesome. All yeah, right. Here we go. All right. So um, uh, hi, everybody. Go and, ahead and uh, uh, share. Okay. I'm going to start sharing. And uh, thank you, Scott, for having me on, on this uh, show. I'm going to yeah. share a screen. And uh, what we're going to have a look at is um, just, a, just a, a couple of images and the story behind uh, a project that I'm out pitching now. Because in general, as, as you have said, I'm going to talk about pitching original project, developing original animation, as well as, as, well as directing animation. Yeah. And so Dream On is a, uh, if anybody saw The Incredibles, uh, 2004. So it's an animated adventure comedy in the spirit of The Incredibles, right? Mm. And so for for those who, who haven't uh, heard me or of me, then I've had like a 20-year animation career going from sort of international animation to Hollywood animation back and forth quite a lot because I don't actually live in the US. I live in Israel. Um, and I've been sort of Basically, jumping around, uh, doing uh, wonderful opportunities in animation development and, and leadership. But the highlight of my career so far was working on The Incredibles all those years ago. Right? It says it's from '04, so it's like 18 years ago. But it was, it was 20 years ago when I was working on it because the, it, it was just fantastic to work on. I love superheroes and I love the family story that uh, Brad told. It was such a, you know, it was a deep and meaningful personal story, but it was also super uh, respectful of action and real danger in the kind of way that family films in the 1980s used to have, you know, they had an edge to them that I wish, you know, I could do or see more of these yeah. days. Um, so anyway, I, I love that. I think a lot of people responded to that as well. And ever since then, I really was dreaming of making a film that would walk in the footsteps of the Incredibles. And so, you know, around about, uh, you know, a few years ago when I was uh, growing up, you know, parent, probably dealing with the same kind of things that Brad was dealing with as he decided to write the, his, his uh, big film. Yeah. Uh, I was having trouble sleeping. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> probably not the only one. And I sort of jokingly tried to count sheep because, you know, everybody heard about counting sheep. I wanted to see if it works. But when you're an animator and you count sheep, you know, it, it, something is bound to go wrong. Uh, and sure enough, you know, there was one sheep who wouldn't just jump over the fence. 
you know, it, it made me realize maybe this is my story, maybe this is my film. And uh, so I came up with this idea that because I really love video games, that Dreamforce is this kind of these sheep who you know help us fall asleep would be also kind of a, a cover for this awesome like science fictiony undercover Mission Impossible group that goes into our dreams, right, into our nightmares and solves them, fixes them so that we don't wake up, hmm. right? Because I really love video games uh, and I kind of love the seriousness of them, uh, I also sort of thought, how can I make this feel a bit more professional and a bit more sort of exciting and gritty and realistic? And mm-hmm. so I created this whole world of these sheep. There's like uh, a panel. They, you know, <laughs> That's great. Um, and, and they sort of, they work worldwide, you know, they always, uh, always, always have to answer uh, uh, the call of somebody having uh, a bad nightmare, right? And so they just jump into a nightmare wherever it's kind of like if anybody saw the movie inception another movie deal, a filmmaker that i love christopher nolan mm-hmm. uh well i kind of call this inception with sheep right <laughs> yeah. Mission Impossible, that jump into a bad dream and whatever's wrong uh, whatever's going wrong they fix it in fact if uh you've ever woken up for, from a dream, from a nightmare, it's because these guys screwed up and that's who our story is about. It's about one of these sheep who screws up. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a you know, the, the, the introduction of the pitch, which I'm not going to do all of it now, but it kind of gives you a taste of, of what I love uh, in terms of my taste, yeah. you know, and in terms of where, where I want to go with it in terms of style. Well, and while you're working on all your um, studio projects, you're working in all these studios and do work, you know, helping other people on their projects, but you're also building these projects at the same time, which is something that definitely resonates with me and my audience. That's sure. what uh, that's sure. what we're all about as well. So, what do you? How do you feel about that project? How do you manage your energy as you're you're going about that kind of work? Oh, great, great question. Uh, speaking of energy, you know, I, I I discovered your show because Mark Andrews was on it, and I saw that you know I loved that his that guy's energy, right? I yeah. mean, I worked. With uh, market uh, Pixar, we crossed paths for for a little bit, and 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 boy, he definitely is strong coffee. Um, yeah, he is. <laughs> and, and it's and it's sort of like and and growing up in the industry with those kind of examples, just in terms of energy of presentation and of work, it's a little bit intimidating because I don't know about you, but most most of us animators who kind of grow up not being the most extroverted people, but more like the shy kid who likes to draw. Uh, by himself or herself and so coming into especially coming into an American big film studio with a lot of kind of loud opinionated energetic people was kind of was a learning curve for me so that's kind of one one kind of energy I wanted to to sort of to mention to put out there which is something I you know had to learn to do but in terms of what you you asked specifically about how to balance energy I guess between you know this kind of work and that kind of work, and then again balance energy with uh, with family because I'm I'm not just a, a professional. I'm also a father and I'm a, a husband. I'm a brother. I'm a son. Yeah. And uh, you know we 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 tend to when we get into the the weeds of our work, we also tend to to dismiss that to forget that side of life, mm-hmm. uh, which at the end of the day is really kind of what what matters. So family comes first for me. And then in, in that whole family and work balance, and work isn't really just work, it's our fun. 
it's our hobbies, it's our yeah. creativity, then then there's another, you know, that, that sectioning that you're talking about, which is like, what, what do I do for money? What's my professional <laughs> yeah. work that I'm doing in order to get paid, to, to pay the bills, keep the lights on? Um, and what do I do that I, it, that's a dream, that's kind of a ambitious thing that I'm investing my time in developing, so in the hopes that one day uh, we'll get to make it. The way I balance it, I think, is so I used to be a bit artsy about it and see and kind of see what, what do I feel like now. I'm also incredibly conscientious mm-hmm. about doing what people expect of me first, meaning, you know, if I have a client, I need to satisfy the client first. Yeah. You know, I feel beholden to, to people who are expecting stuff from me whether they're paying me or not, you know, uh, okay. sometimes, sometimes if somebody's waiting for a drawing or an idea or a meeting, you know, that's, that's very important. I'm that kind of guy. But what I've done recently, you know, 20 years in the industry, you're bound to kind of experience a little bit of a taste of, of burnout. Yeah. Trying really hard, kind of working in startup mode for so long. It, um, it, it leaves a mark. And and I think that what I've learned to do recently in terms of balancing energy is to make sure that I'm looking after myself, sleeping, eating, moving, and playing, you know, having good times with the family and friends, uh, and that establishing that as a bedrock for everything else. I think that's pretty much how I balance things. I try not to do more than two things a day <laughs> that require thinking and drawing and, and focus because I can't change lanes too quickly. Right. I mean... I can, but it just costs a lot in energy. So try to not. Yeah. And I, I feel like these, these side projects, these passion projects actually recharge me too, which is nice. So if, if I'm consistent, I put that in a certain part of the day, you know, before I do something that's a little bit exhausting, it, it tends to help me, you know, balance out that energy of the day, which is fun. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I, I still haven't decided what goes in which part of the day. You know, some people say that, more energetic earlier in the day, sometimes more later, I, it kind of doesn't make a difference. Yeah. And, you know, also working, working remotely with American clients, working from, from where I'm working in, in Israel, which is currently the time here is uh, almost 7.15 p.m. Yeah. So I'm kind of used to long evenings, you know, and having to sort of muster up my energy pretty late at night, late in the day. <laughs> yeah. I'd have learned to have to sort of balance that out, manage it. Do you have any tricks on how you've learned to do that or just? Yeah, I mean, my, my workspace is playful. Um, yeah. I have sort of a TV with a PlayStation. When <laughs> my kids are not playing, uh, I get a turn as well. Yeah, nice. uh, but, but playing is important. I schedule a lot. You know, I used to think that scheduling is for important business professionals. Yeah. But, you know, actually, no, it's really important for artists as well. And so I schedule, I need to see my week coming up. I need to have like a date with my wife. I need to have a hangout with a, with a friend. I need to see my dad, my mom, you know. And so if I have those plotted, and then I also plot out my times to work on my project, whether it's Dream On or Rage Mouse or, you know, something that I'm developing with a, with a friend in LA and make sure that it's, it's a balanced week. But, you know, um, they don't all balance. I think that's the big trick is yeah. you can't get everything that you're doing into every week. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to say, I'm putting that thing on the shelf for a while. Yeah. I can't put any energy into that right now. Right. Which is okay. Exactly. Actually, sometimes I think a project actually needs that, especially yes. we're, we're trying to create these deeply meaningful experiences that 
feel organic to the audience, but we're crafting them, you know? <laughs> and you're bound to start to see the, the edges of something and the seams mm -hmm. of something if you don't take a break and like, you know, decompress and then come back to it and say, oh yeah, I didn't realize yeah. there was a whole seam right here in the story, <laughs> a big gaping so hole, true. you know? Yeah, so. Yeah, and you know what else, Scott? And I, I don't know if this is a trick, but as, as we work really hard to sort of not just develop the creative, but the story and the idea for a film or a series, oh, so much of that work is also getting people's attention to it. Yeah, getting meetings. I'm, I'm going to Los Angeles tomorrow to get a, you know, I'll be at Lightbox and I'm going to do a series of meetings. And you, you, you need to really go out there and, and hustle. And, and to balance that out, I kind of feel like, wow, I miss drawing. I miss animating. And sort of not every job that I do includes drawing or animating because, yeah. as you know, Joel, you know, the more the, the, the more you're directing, the more you're sort of supervising or, or leading a, a team, it's sort of it's, it's healthier to step back and let the artists do their thing and sort of not, right? Mm -hmm. But I miss animating and I feel like, you know, I'm, I've, I've decided I've started to look into hand-drawn animation again because, yeah, you yeah. know, since my two hand-drawn short films in college 20-something years ago, I haven't really animated and so I miss it. And I think, I think I'd really enjoy just uh, diving into that and I'm sure you know somebody else might like it as well so that's another trick yeah excited about new tool yeah try a new tool that's that's great also I want to put a little caveat here I've I run a lot of across a lot of people in the industry who think this is the kind of work you and I are doing where we're doing these hustling these original projects that that's the kind of work they want to do and then I ask them what they're doing to to make it happen and, and I don't see any movement there and uh, a lot of times, you know, it's it's possible sometimes because they feel guilty, like they think this is what they need to be doing. But I'm like, okay. well, what do you actually enjoy doing? Well, I want to just be animating all the time. I want to create this new shot. Or I want to create I want to do fan art of these movies like they're maybe they're visual development artists. Right. But they That's think true. they need to have a big project. It's like, no, maybe you don't. You know, maybe yeah. maybe your passion really is creating that fan art or creating the animation. And you don't have to. You know, you don't have to be climbing a ladder, that sort of thing. You can, you know, kind of like the Hero Dreams of Sushi documentary, that man who would make sushi, you can make each, each time you make a piece of sushi, he would make it just slightly better, right? And if your passion yeah. is animating and you just, you get a thrill out of animating shot after shot, that should be your passion and keep doing that, you know? I, um, I absolutely agree. Because yeah, on the opposite end of the spectrum, yeah, the opposite end of the spectrum, my, my friend Chris Oatley just created a course about this. It's called the number one question that will save your career. Oh, what's the huh. what's the name of the website? It's really good. It's really good. I'll share it on LinkedIn. Put it in the I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he was talking about how he thought he wanted to be a story artist and everybody kept telling him, be a story artist. You have a lot of talent, you know, in this area. But he couldn't yeah. get himself to sit down and draw storyboards, you know? Wow. wow. And, and eventually, and it was because he wanted to direct that they kept telling him to do that as well. Uh, he decided he yeah. actually didn't want to direct. He wanted to create an online school and help people get past their roadblocks. And now he has Oatly Academy and it's an incredible mm. school that he's created. And it's his, it's what he feels like his calling is, you know? And so, um, yeah, if it's something, yeah. it's, if it's something you're just driven to do and you just can't not do it, I think that's, that's a good indication. <laughs> that is, that is the sign. That's true. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, you know, it's interesting. I don't have a clear answer to that. I think, I think that there's, I'm, I'm definitely vulnerable to expectations being created by people that I 
hanging out with that I that I've been around. Yeah. Definitely, you know, getting getting my the start of my career at Pixar was a blessing, but also maybe a curse. Yeah, because once you once once you leave Pixar, then you kind of feel like, well, what am I doing? What am I going to do next? That's not going to be a step down mm-hmm. in terms of how impressive it is to the people that I you know, uh, that are surrounding me. And that's not why I got into it. Right. Yeah, we were all kids who loved drawing yeah. or who loved, you know, making a flip book or, or, or trying a, you know, Super 8 camera to, to, to mess around in the backyard with it and, and make silly films. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I am trying to sort of to reconnect with that and, and check myself. That's awesome. I, I had kind of the opposite experience where my goal was Disney Pixar, right? And I f- was feeling like it was impeding me not having that on my resume, right? Because I'd worked at all these other places and had all this other amazing experience, but I didn't have that brand name next to my name, right? And I had yeah. an opportunity open up to go to one of those studios and I didn't want it at that point because I was enjoying all this original content development. I wanted to spend all my time doing that. And yeah. uh, I took a big risk, but it, I think it's starting to pay off. You know, it's like people don't care if I didn't work at those places, you know? They care sure. about it's all about what you can do, yeah, right? And, about and, your drive. And and, you, can you entertain people? And I'm sure that lots of the people who will listen to this, maybe their dream is to be at a big company, but you know, do you have to? Mm-hmm. Do you have to to be successful work at those companies? It seems like more and more the answer is no. I totally agree, especially recently. Speaking of online schools, you know, you have such <laughs> wonderful yeah. artists who've whether they've been to, to Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, etc. or not. You know, you can learn so much. You can find your mentors online. Uh, the biggest thing I got out of Pixar, yes, there's a brand recognition thing that, that opens doors. However, the biggest thing that opens doors is really what you can do, what you can draw, the ideas, the solutions that you bring up creatively in order to sort of to solve problems and and, um, and entertain. Yeah. All that stuff really, it, it, it exists out there. You can find your mentor. And that's why, for me, being at Pixar, sorry, I'm just re rewiring my thought being at pixar at that time in the sort of uh early 2000s was when there was a little bit of online teaching you know you could learn to be an animator from that i think that mm-hmm. was just when the 10 second club was starting or 11 i think it started as the 10 second club <laughs> but but sort of people were seeing each other's work online to some degree but there wasn't really the hardcore courses but pixar was just like Almost every week there was a lecture. Yeah. There was, you know, there was learning from the best animators in the world and sort of, and and filmmakers, not just from animators, learning from everybody else, from designers, editors, uh, cinematographers, actors, clowns. You know, we we even had, I'm I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but this wonderful puppeteer from Jim Henson Company. I don't know if he was actually with Jim Henson at the time, but he brought out, he was a puppeteer of Gonzo from the Muppet Show, oh. and he literally showed up and gave us a a, a talk and and uh, sort of behind the scenes of the making of you know uh, some of the greatest films. And then he brought out Gonzo and answered questions as Gonzo. It's just really fabulous exposure to to master uh, artists. And at the time, I think that's what really grew me as a as an artist and as a creator. Uh, but yeah. Also the curse, you know, you got to be as big as that. Yeah, <laughs> you do. <laughs> uh, yeah. At the same time, it seems like you've managed. I, I think one of the reasons you've managed, having looked at 
you know, people who've worked with you and what they say about you is just, you're, you're so great to work with, you know, and that's oh, one of those you. underrated skills that, you know, people's experience of working with you is just as big as like your, your portfolio and, and what that looks like. That's very kind of you and, and of them to say, gosh, you said we, we, we'll go deep um, in the, uh, in this interview. I didn't realize how deep, uh, but, but I have to say that, you know, working with people is kind of like drawing you you want to do it, but you also have to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not so young anymore, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 50. And one of the biggest things I realize is that sort of being good at drawing and animating is just not enough because what we love doing is filmmaking is such a collaborative thing. I need to be able to not just convince people, not just rally people, but care for people mm, i need yes. to make sure that people aren't just working for me or with me for for the money or for the the label the experience you know but they're working because they're improving themselves and yes. because they get it because somebody cares about their journey and not just about mine and i yeah. think that's that's a switch that i made that that i think changed me and is actually incredibly gratifying for me as well yeah it really is especially because each person's a little different too like some people have one motivation for why they're working and why they're doing what they're doing. And then another person will be completely different. I think a, a mistake that sometimes we might want to make is, you know, trying to direct everybody the same where wow. it's like, no, no, my way in with this person is very different than my way in with that person. Cause that person is like aimed at a different direction. They have something else yeah. different they want. And this person is yeah. aimed in that direction. And, and sometimes right. you might even have a, an artist who doesn't really see their potential. Right. Or they don't really see what their passion is quite yet. And so they might be, you know, I have a friend who went to Animation Mentor with me and he, I, I worked a lot with him as his peer buddy as an animator, but this guy, he yeah. is a sculptor. He's a digital sculptor. He's now at Netflix. He's amazing. Wow. He's remarkable. Um, shout out wow. to Menti, <laughs> Mika Wellington. Yeah, he's just a remarkable artist, but it took him a while to kind of realize this isn't my passion, animation. I want to be making yeah. the character and I want to, you yeah. know, I'm a, I'm a sculptor. And so, it's great. yeah, it's great. I mean, there's so much overlap between all these different disciplines, right? Yeah. Because, because wanting to, to, well, entertaining is one thing, but wanting to create to, I find that also in drawings, like there are so many animators who don't really care for drawing. I remember when <laughs> yeah. the Incredibles was, was arriving sort of the Brad and his whole entourage were, slowly moving into Pixar, then there's a lot of excitement in the, uh, in the animation department because, wow, you know, Iron Giant, we're all like, yeah, like that. But, <laughs> but, um, but there was also a little bit of, of tension because here, here uh, coming in this, this small group of animators who are from traditional animation, and this is the first time that Pixar is going to focus on human characters in, mm-hmm. in CG animation. And so everybody hurried up and started to, you know, go into figure drawing there was a bit of a rush to catch up on figure drawing uh, at, uh, at lunchtime, which was amazing that Pixar offered, again, a university. The, the, the point being, sorry, rewiring, coming back to your, to, to your comment about people are not always on the same path, is that, you know, between acting, being, you know, wanting to create wonderful performances, you might as well, you could be an on-screen actor, you could be a puppeteer, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and crafting good performances in 3D animation doesn't necessarily mean you can draw them in hand drawn animation. Right. And 
The other way is also true, just because you can draw beautiful characters and you can make the motion feel organic and silky doesn't mean you're the best actor for every shot. And so I, I, I really see that. I really see that we're also wildly different uh, when it comes to casting, you know, when it comes to what would this animator be really good at, mm-hmm. but also where is this animator going and, yeah. and what does he or she want uh, out of this experience? Yeah, I love it. I love it. So working at several different studios, we've talked a lot about Pixar. You've picked up a lot at various studios and various clients that you've worked with. And uh, I'd love to hear different insights you've gained from that process. Because every studio is a bit different. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are pros and cons to every single place you're going to work. Yeah. You know, and there's some, yeah, there are yeah. going to be some favorites that emerge, and, and I definitely have my favorites. And <laughs> But uh, let's speak to that. Very true. Very true. Well, first of all, you know, it's, it's a, little bit, um, a little bit self-conscious and sometimes a bit envious of people who spend many, many years at a studio because it's, mm. you know, you don't have to hustle anymore for, yeah. for work. And the reason, the reason I decided to leave Pixar is because, you know, my eldest son came, you know, was at an age where he would start school and I really wanted him to go to school in Israel. And it paid oh. off, you know, three oh. boys grew up here and, and uh, are well on their way. But the thing is that, you know, if you're, you're an animator sitting anywhere and you're, you're itching to direct or to see how far you can go, then it's a good idea to, to move around and to go and see how other studios work, and also what can I do by myself, or I mm-hmm. live in a different country. Uh, these are these are great things for for one's creativity, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> if, if you know, if you know that the the phrase "stocking the pond," I think it's from the book um, "The Artist Way." Oh um, yeah. Stocking the pond is basically just not not. We all, we artists have to take a pause from creating, creating, creating. We have to go see new things and, and experience life in order to have what to animate about or write and, you know, direct about, tell stories about. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, so I think that the working at different studios, Pixar was definitely the place that was like a university for me. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was the first job, it was the second job out of college. The first job was at actually Manix Visual Effects, mm-hmm. working on the Matrix uh, sequels. But as soon as I got into the, the call from Pixar, I, I, I had to go there because yeah. I, was, I was so excited about them. And sure enough, it was, it was a university. I was really learning so much, a masterclass every week in, in filmmaking and in, in acting, in the craft. Uh, after that, actually working for a studio, a small studio in Israel that was really starting up where mm-hmm. uh, they were trying to make a, an animated feature film, but there wasn't enough experience in the management and in the leadership. I was sort of excited to, to have a, ch- a shot at directing animation. Yeah. But I was really just a young animator yeah. <laughs> straight out of my first job as an animator at Pixar. I noticed that and in your lineup. I was like, wow, he went from animator to director like animation director it was, it was well, fast yeah exactly the anime wasn't the director of the film but definitely animation director it's kind of like well small pond medium fish i guess yeah. but but uh, it, it it was it was a very educating thing because i think the first of all coming out of pixar it's a funny thing happens happened to me at least i'll speak for myself but i think it happens to other ex-pixarians as well is that you kind of have thin skin um, you come out not really ready to hustle. You're not ready wow. for, for, for the, you know, having to talk about money and talking about 
I mean, money other than your own salary. There's the sort of the money discussion of how much will this project cost, or you know, if we if we do this much uh, over here, the conversation with the with the producers, the leadership conversation, often touches on resources and on if we open this door, we have to close that one. Yeah. And so, yeah. Coming from Pixar, you, you don't really know how to do that. Uh, definitely not as an as a junior animator, but yeah. but I, I had to learn pretty quickly, and I think that that was an excellent sort of jump into the cold water of and learning to swim, yeah, deep water and cold, yeah, you know, without knowing. How I mean, to, you're to, you're to, talking to about business and entrepreneurial skills. These are and sales Correct. skills, and you know these but are a lot of different types of skills. Leadership skills; those are another entire set of skills that take a lifetime to master, right? So yeah, right, and that. That's one of the big differences also between studios is that the, the, the organizational culture sometimes is very much about creative collaboration mm -hmm. and about yes and, right? And some of them are very much about the business. They're much more mercenary. They're much <laughs> more about sort of like, let, we, we tried this. We didn't get approval. Let's go again. We're going to try again and again and again. It's not, there isn't really a culture in every studio of, of uh, conversations about what else could we be doing, what, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't it be fun if we did this, right? Yeah. Um, striving to fail, you know, trying to, trying to fail as quickly as possible um, to see what we have. That's awesome. <laughs> I love mm -hmm. that. You're, you're, you're speaking my language here, you know, just having worked outside the industry for so long. <laughs> but yet I'm still tied into it. And I'm technically in the industry now, um, supervising mm -hmm. at Steamroller. And at the same time, like... All of what the... a wonderful company! Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Can we just pause on that? Yeah, yeah. Because because <laughs> I I um just uh, I think it was a couple months ago we had a visit here in Israel. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I'm blanking. Gilman, Aaron, your CEO, Aaron, Aaron Gilman. Yeah, Thank Gilman. You. Yeah, awesome, awesome guy. And he gave a talk about the organizational culture and about mm -hmm. leadership and about caring about top-down leadership. Wow, boy, would I love to have a have a shot at that. You know, see what that's like. So, please. How is that? What, what is that like? Well, I'm on week three or four. I, you know, I started oh. mid-September. So, however, you know, I just came from an experience where I was one of the studio, the people building the studio. I started the same as one of at the same time as one of the, the people who's in the credits as a studio founder, and he was the producer and I was the director. the The reason uh -huh. I'm not listed as a studio founder is because I couldn't really commit my entire career to that place. I just had too oh, many other cool. things going on. Sure. So, sure, um, sure. so, and, and actually, you know, it was kind of, it was a super cool, very difficult, but great learning experience, kind of a university type experience you're describing. So, um, yeah, then I, then I popped from there to here and just the, the amount of organization, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. And at the same time, it's not really a machine. They realize it's people working on these projects. And so there's a lot of care that goes into taking care of the people and making sure everybody is feeling fulfilled, feeling comfortable, uh -huh. but push just enough that they're progressing at a nice yeah. rate. Yeah, it's it's really challenged to get that right. And it seems so far like they've gotten that right. It's been remarkable. It looks like it. And the work looks beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the animators that I met that, uh, that work there are also super happy and encouraged. So yes. they're doing something right. They are. They are. We are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm part of them now. Yeah. And it's not a place uh, that I want to leave. So, yeah, it's it's definitely cool. a place to stay a long time. Fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And you get to work from home, which is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have a, a question from an audience member, and I didn't quite understand it. So 
Um, let me pop in here. So the question okay. about um, Jimmy Levinsky was asking about the, you need influence and which is more likely to happen with our own projects. I'm not sure what he meant by that, but if you want to type in there, Jimmy, we'll we'll check out your question in a second. Well, first see. of all, I want to say hello to Jimmy because Jimmy's a, a fantastic uh, friend. In fact, Jimmy is an amazing character sculptor. Yeah, didn't he sculpt the character that's in the thumbnail? Very good. Yes, yeah, he yeah. did. And you, you mentioned him as well in the uh, in, in the LinkedIn comment. So yeah. please repeat the question. Influence. Yeah, he says, I bet it is about influence. Which is more likely uh, to happen with our own projects? Which is more likely to happen? Yeah. Between what? Which is in, yeah. in, uh, between influence or? I don't know. I don't know what the question was. Okay, Jimmy. I thought I'd give Jimmy, him a chance. Jimmy, type, type it again, please. Yeah. So... While he's typing that, um, we'll mm -hmm. actually skip right to the last segment that I usually do. It's called the Get Wiser Moment, and then we'll hop okay. back to his question. So the Get Wiser Moment is obviously, you know, if we're going to spend millions of dollars on a project, it's going to mean something, you know. Right. And that's something I right. just keep thinking about. I don't see the de the depth of meaning that I'd like to see in most animated films these days. And so my mm -hmm. my question I always ask is if my Goal is to get the deepest constant, like the most concentrated amount of meaning into a project. What approach would you recommend? And there's um, always a different answer from every audience member. And it's, it, it kind of takes a second to start to think about. So go ahead and take your time with that question. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, I will. I will. So that, that resonates in that, you know, the project that I'm developing when I, when I found what my personal story is for dream on and how this is a therapy session for me, right? Mm -hmm. It's a it's a father-son story. It's a story about this sort of misbelief that a main character has about having to be like his father, right? In order to have good things, to be happy in life. Because that's the model that a lot of us grow up with, right? Whether it's a, a father or a mother, a parental figure, Right, that is the the model, a, a positive parental figure, that causes us to feel like you know I, I need to be like that, and sometimes we're not, mm -hmm. and sometimes we're just so different mm -hmm. that it's a struggle, yeah. and uh, we have to find find our own way of being happy and being you know our own concept of being successful without without being that kind, and so. That's a story that I can tell forever. That's a that's a story that is meaningful to me. And I found the more I share it, the more people jump up and down and say, "Yeah, that's just like my mother. That's just like my father. That's that's exactly me." You're telling my story. Yeah. And I'm so happy to hear that. And I realize that um, I have to keep coming back to that in the story to make sure yeah. that that is resonating. That that theme is coming through. That that struggle is continuing coming back to that thread of of uh, what the story is about and obviously uh, yeah he, it was john truby in in the anatomy of story that only yeah. today i really i understood what he meant in where he said that that choosing the idea for your story has to be it has to be a story that changes your life yes that's like the last the last couple pages is when he talks about that right where he's like you need to go right. on a journey as a filmmaker yourself and you need to grow a lot as a person Right. Yeah. Right. And so, and so I think that, that if this story isn't changing my life, it means it won't change other people's lives. It right. means that 
the the meaning isn't uh, isn't coming through. And so as long as I have that, and, and you know, there's like a thousand things to think about when you're making a film between getting it, you know, if, if it's if it's an independent film, getting it funded, getting the right team on board, and the, what does it look like? What does it play like? The music, etc. But having some something on the wall to keep reminding you, this is why you're telling this story. I think I'm answering the question. I think you are, and it sounds like life my... experience to me. And you said that earlier about living life. You know, mm. if if you're trying to write a meaningful story, but you have zero life experience, then that needs to be like John Truby said. Part of your writing process is to get that life experience, or yeah. or you need to, you know, we we treasure youth a lot in our society, where it's like I don't know. There's something to be said about that person who's gone through a lot of experiences that you. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I want to go and sit in front of them and ask them all these questions like what did how did you get through that you know how did you how did you overcome that struggle and yeah you're so right scott i mean i think i think it's maybe it's maybe it's mostly the mess the western world you know the 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 first world that we're we're familiar (laughs) with that really is obsessed with youth Mm -hmm. and and you know in my head i'm also going back to energy and being you know extroverted and all that but but really it's so true uh I remember who said that uh, that that youth is wasted on the young. You know, <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard it though. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure it's the same meaning. It just reminds me. It's like ah, if I were your age, I'd be doing this and this and that, right? Mm-hmm. But but it's it's not true. I actually really love growing older or more mature. In that, I, I get this experience. I get this perspective. I've also let go of things. I've given up on certain misbeliefs and sort of and and ambitions that that I feel are are not helpful. Yeah. Just like you spoke about before, but do you really need to direct a big film? Or maybe you just have the animating. It, life is long, you know? Life is long, we can we can have it all. We can sort of mix a, uh, uh, the, the, the trying to, to, you know, continually climbing that mountain, but also, you know, enjoying the, the flowers on the way. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes, and I th- I'm sure you've experienced this as much as I, if there is this thing you're burning to do, like directing a feature film, sometimes that can make you miserable, <laughs> too. Yes. You know? Um, of there, course. That's why my hair is white here. <laughs> that's from, that's from uh, yeah, obsessing over that. But yeah, yeah. That's fine. It'll get, it'll, it all gets white, actually. It's, uh, it's genetic. Yeah, mine's coming, too. It's slowly. But, <laughs> yeah, in some ways, that suffering is worth it, though, too, you know? If you can learn how to channel that into your stories, then it, it can become worth it. So back to Jimmy's question, which that was a great answer. And, and I, I love how each each person comes in with a different perspective on that that question. That's why I keep asking it, because there's so much to it. There really is. And I and I imagine me at 80, you know, is going to be like, wow, there's so much more to this question than you ever, ever thought. Because it's Absolutely. all it's all really about how do you live? You know, how are we going to live? How do we encourage other people to live better? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's you know what's amazing how it all finds its way back into the work process. Yes. Whether you're writing or storyboarding. Yes. Like all of that, how do you live actually also means I've become more patient. I noticed I don't enjoy the sort of the, the, the drawing and the crafting of a scene much more than I used to because I was in a hurry to prove myself. Now I'm not. Now I'm just enjoying it. Do it as it comes, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So here's so the question. Here's the West of Jimmy's question. So originally it was, which is more likely to happen with our own projects? And then he said, oh, he he, it was about the pursuit of our own film slash projects. It came from your talk about wanting to go back to the craft of animation from the position of creating creation of our own projects in general and what might push us to do our own things slash films, etc. 
What I'm guessing is that it might come from the need of having influence over our time spent. Hope it makes sense. Hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, um, you know, jump on a zoom call with Jimmy after this to make sure that I got it. Yeah. But you know, in terms of it, what, what influences, what pursuit, I think I, I I'm going to say, I'm going to say something that's always right. All right. Yeah. Everything influences everything else. Yes. Right. <laughs> you, your work, your work as a, as a, uh, as a professional, your work on, on project A, your work on project B, putting project C aside for a couple of months and letting it just rest so that you care a bit less about it and then coming back to it with new fresh eyes and, and sort of a, a bit, maybe a bit more like playful uh, and less obsessive. Yeah. Uh, Attitude. I think that's <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. exactly I think I think everything influences every choice influences um, uh, other experiences. That's as far as I'm going to guess what Jimmy meant by that question. And yeah, we'll follow up later. It seems to me when I get questions like this that somebody's trying to like they're maybe comparing themselves to like okay here's where Alex is, here's where Scott is, and I want to have these things happen. How can I replicate mm -hmm. that? And so they're maybe doing a little bit of inward searching, like, do I have the stuff of what it takes to get this? You know, um, I get the question all the time, like, what drives you? Like, you, you come out with all these things and and there's so much content coming out of you. What is what is the, the motor? And it's a question that I can't quite answer because human beings, we really don't really understand ourselves as well as we think we do uh, because mm -hmm. we'll have a new experience and all of a sudden you, knew, you learn something new about yourself, right? And so sometimes sure. there are things that are so deep that it's hard to put words to them. And I wonder if he's mm -hmm. trying to kind of maybe get at that or maybe mm -hmm. maybe he's just asking for a quick tip. <laughs> it, it could be both. <laughs> And I'm I'm too, too old for quick tips. I'm 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 all about the slow tips these days. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the there's the, I, I've made all the mistakes. Honestly, I mean I've 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 gone out trying to get a lot of attention for not enough substance, <laughs> yeah. and then I've gone back and focused on substance, hoping that sorry, I mean maybe it's the other way around. I started out by focusing on my substance and not on attention. Mm. believing that it doesn't matter who knows you and who's aware of you, but what matters is how good your work is. And which I think is a healthy beginning yes. because, yeah. because I, I definitely don't want to be the person who's out there getting amazing opportunities just because he or she are amazing at getting attention. Mm -hmm. right? that, yeah. That's a, because well, I can't be that, you know, you're, if, uh, Jimmy, you're, you're not that person either. You're a person of substance and of, of making just gorgeous looking uh, uh, characters that you want to see in a film. And so uh, I, I think that authenticity is is really where it comes down to. It's just having that quiet uh, uh, of, of mindfulness to to. Uh, to be able to say, what do I really want? Who am I? Yeah. Um, and letting that sort of lead you through it. Because you're already a professional. You can do stuff that people want. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not a child anymore. You're, you're a, a grown-up with a, with a craft, a uh, commercial craft. Yeah. And uh -huh. so you can now you get to really lean back and think, what do I want to do? Yeah. And the, the more you sort of focus on that and just be authentically, just say it, you know, don't, don't pretend to be somebody else. Yeah. Just be that, you know. At the same time, I think there's a little bit, I think many times I've erred on both sides. Like sometimes I'm focusing too much on substance and not enough on the attention. Sometimes I focus yeah. too much on the attention, not enough on the substance. Right. So you're, you're going to, in order to, in order to get big things to happen, you have to be willing to 
kind of struggle very publicly, I think. <laughs> and let Absolutely. people and I think the authentic uh the authentic nature comes in your willingness to change and to adapt and to say, hmm, maybe I went a little bit too far in my video on this Kickstarter campaign, so I dial it back on the next video. And then, you know, this third video um, that I made on this Kickstarter mm -hmm. was much more authentic because I didn't focus on me. Mm -hmm. I focused on the reader and I actually recorded people as they finished reading the book and I just captured their experiences. And then when I was right. on screen talking, I was talking more about the people who've supported this in the past and really nice. working to figure out who they were and and what resonated with them, you know, right. which is where we started to dial in on this deep, deeply meaningful. Those two words, they just they just tend uh -huh. to always sit around this brand that that um, at least I'm building and it might be different for the next person. Right. There might be another set sure. of three words that uh, really motivates you. But yeah, absolutely. It's it's absolutely. I love I love how you describe that willingness to change and to like reassess and say maybe well, I, I'm focusing I, I, on one area more than the other. True, and and we're also we're, we're all in a way we're products of a, a society that we grew up in. Yeah. From, uh, of a family, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up in a family where so it was a lot about modesty and about not to first do and then talk about it. Like yeah. don't talk about yourself, don't don't show off, right? Yeah. A, a little bit reserved English, um, you know, kind of. Not old-fashioned, but definitely quiet, private, and yeah. just do prove yourself. People will hear of you when when it's time, when when you've you've done enough, right? Yeah. And Hollywood isn't like that. No. Um, Hollywood definitely needs you to speak up, show up. You know, big energy, strong coffee, right? Um, <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta bring the show. It's it's called show business for a reason. Mm -hmm. um so uh yeah you gotta you gotta learn you gotta realize that yeah yeah sorry mommy and daddy this this is how uh it's done yeah we are kind of talking about a yin and a, and a yang though i think if you're one side mm -hmm. more than the other you might become off balanced and perhaps correct perhaps it's by you know finding balance between those two extremes that's when you can do your best work possibly so still searching yeah me yeah. too <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's why it's been so great to have you on and uh if people want to follow your work where's the best place to do that uh wow fantastic um so i've recently stopped started and stopped and started uh on on instagram because i do like the the that so so instagram is there i think i'm at, at alex Orell. yep and that's um, in the show notes correct thank you and and uh linkedin i'm on twitter I guess that's it. Yeah. yeah. It's enough, isn't it? All the places. And uh, my stuff is down in the show notes. And thank you again so much, awesome. Alex, for being on here. And a big pleasure. And sharing uh, all your knowledge. And a privilege. Yep. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. And until next time, I hope we all get a little wiser. Thank you for watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser. Audio version edited by Kira Horowitz. Copyright Scott Weiser, LLC 2022. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and ring that notification bell.